0: Hello and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth, verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible with Pastor and Teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. This is the first of a three-part study of the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapters 23 and 24. You have a few moments, so why don't you go get your Bibles and follow along. Please turn to Joshua chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. As I wait, you
1: Joshua chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass, a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain, to be an inheritance for your tribes, from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you, and drive them from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land, as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom, To the right hand or to the left. That you come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God, as you have done unto this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he has promised you. Take good heed thereunto unto yourselves, that you love the Lord your God. Else if you do in any wise, go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they unto you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that if all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, So shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant to the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the surety of your word. And Lord, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, that you would guide us, that you would instruct us, that you would teach us your ways, Lord. We ask that you would be the one to guide us this morning. Help us to hear your voice, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 1 of chapter 23, it says, And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies around about that Joshua waxed old. And stricken in age. It was just the, the previous chapter two that Joshua made the same basic statement that he's old and stricken in age, so he's older and more stricken. Basically at the end of not this chapter but the next, Joshua will pass away. But he said after a long time. It's been approximately thirteen years between chapter twenty two and chapter twenty three. They've now been in the promised land for about twenty years. And so that's a long time to be fighting, a long time to be putting things together. But the Lord had told them ahead of time that he wasn't going to drive all the inhabitants out of the land at one time. He would drive them out in a kind of incremental way so they could kind of keep up with the whole thing there. This will be Joshua's last address. He's going to die at the end of this next chapter. In verse 2, it says, And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, and for their judges, for their officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age, you have seeing all that the Lord your God has done unto all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. Joshua calls all the leaders of Israel. Basically, there's going to be two messages. Chapter 23 is addressed primarily to the leaders, and it's should to be an exhortation to love the Lord their God. And as the leaders would love the Lord their God, it's understood that the people would follow in that example. The message in chapter 24 is directly to the people, and that is to serve the Lord your God. If we love the Lord our God, it follows suit that we would serve him. Then we get to verse 3, and it says that, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto all the nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. Joshua is reminding them of who has won the victory. He's reminding them that God has given them the victory, given them all the blessings, and that God is the one that's fought for them. The psalmist declares in Psalm 24, verse 8, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. There's that propensity at times to, before a big battle, when things are looking kind of scary, we're very spiritual. We pray, we ask God for help, we ask God to be with us and to fight for us. And then after the big battle, sometimes they say, well, look what I did. And Joshua was pretty much reminding them that they didn't do anything, that God is the one that fought the battles for them, that God is the one that gets the glory, and that God is the one who's proven himself to be faithful. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I've cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised unto you. Each tribe has been given a portion of land that's theirs, but they haven't taken all the land. They're in the land, but they haven't completely taken it over. And God is basically saying, you know what, I'm going to go before you, I'm going to be faithful, I will drive them out now just as I did before, just that you need to step forward. It's the understanding that God is faithful. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine, know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And so we see that God, he has a plan and he intends to keep his word. In verse six, the exhortation, be ye therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left be courageous, be obedient, stay in the word. Sometimes it does take a bit of courage to go against the flow of things, to be obedient to God's word. And Joshua is now repeating the same exhortation that God gave to him at the very beginning of this book. When Joshua was a brand new leader of Israel, when he was just kind of taking over for the first time, God spoke to him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, and God said, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. God gave Joshua good counsel. And so now Joshua turns right around, and he gives that same good counsel to the people, because he knows he's going to pass from the scene. He knows that they are going to, in a sense, be on their own. And so he encourages them basically with the word of God. Then in verse 7 it says, That you come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves down unto them. I mean, we could just stick with the Ten Commandments in this regard, not to make any graven images and bow down to them and stuff. But there's this exhortation, don't mingle with the people that do these things. It's steer clear of the pagan people and of their pagan gods. Don't even speak their names. You know, so often we feel like we've got to be experts at all these different religions and cults and isms in our culture and society. And we don't. All we've got to do, really, is know the Word of God. But Paul exhorts us along those lines. In Romans chapter 16, verse 19, Paul says, But I would have you to be wise into that which is good, speaking of God's Word, and simple concerning evil. We don't have to know all the evils in the world. We don't have to be an expert in all the different religions and stuff. All we need to do is study our Bible and be well-versed in that, and we'll recognize all these other things as they come along. Again, Paul exhorts us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And that's the same thing Joshua is saying. Don't get tangled up in this stuff. Don't touch it. Don't talk to them. Don't, don't even go there. Otherwise, you're going to end up in compromise. And along those lines, in, in verse 8, he says, But cleave unto the Lord your God, as you've done unto this day. The word cleave, you know, cleave unto the Lord your God, that, the first time that's used is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and that's regarding marriage. The husband is to cleave unto his wife, and there to be one flesh. The word there in Hebrew is debach, and it means to cling or to adhere, to stick to, kind of like glue. Lately, I've been doing a lot of woodworking, and I'm working in my garage. And I remember when I first started out in carpentry, I, I thought that the nails and screws of the cat's out. you just put enough nails and screws in it, and it'll stick together, you know. After several of my projects fell apart, and another good friend came alongside to teach me some stuff about carpentry, He goes, hey, try the glue. And I go, glue? I mean, that's like pasting, you know, kid stuff together. He goes, no, no, no. Trust me, try the glue. The nails and the screws are simply to hold it together long enough for the glue to adhere. And once the glue sets, you can take the nails out. Anyway, what I've learned in the years since then in construction stuff, when you glue the wood together, it bonds so completely that when you try and take two boards apart, it'll actually destroy the boards before the bond breaks. It just permeates so incredibly. And that's a picture of what God wants us to be. He wants us to adhere to him. He wants us to cling to him and to be one. And that's what it is when you glue those pieces of wood together they are one. Interesting, I have experimented and taken some 2x4s and glued them together and then torn them apart, and it's amazing the damage that's done to each side, each board. To me, it's almost kind of symbolic, or it's a type that when we try to tear away from God, when we try to re- remove ourselves from him once we're connected, what happens? It's painful. There's an open wound and, and something's destroyed. And it's usually us. And so we're to cleave to the Lord. We're to stick to God, in a sense, like glue. Let me get to verses 9 and 10. And it says, For the Lord your God has driven out from before you great nations and strong. In other words, these weren't a bunch of wimps that they had victory over. They were strong nations. But as for you, no man has been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand... For the Lord your God, he it is that fights for you, as he's promised you. Again, the Lord's been faithful to fight their battles, to give them the victory. No man has been able to stand before them. When he says that one man shall chase a thousand, he's quoting from the song of Moses back in the book of Numbers. When Moses gives them the song to sing, he goes, when you walk with the Lord, one man can chase a thousand. And we see that in their history. Israel has always been outnumbered, <laughs> and they always win. It's almost a running joke in Israel. But it's the understanding, like what Paul says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, then who could be against us? It doesn't matter if you've got an army of a thousand, a million, or thirty. God will be victorious, and we just march behind him and, and glorify him. But then in verse 11 it says, Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that you love the Lord your God. That phrase, take heed, it means be very careful in a certain sense. It means it's more than just take heed, like listen, It's listening with the intent of doing whatever is being spoken or communicated. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. You know, loving God isn't something that happens by accident. You don't just trip out the front door of your house one day or fall and stumble. Oh, I love God. That's something that we need to purpose to do. When I minister to my wife, it's rarely by accident. I seek to minister to her, to to please her, to, to do different things, to help her out. And, you know, those things at times take planning. I have to set other parts of my schedule aside. I have to purpose to do something. And it's the same thing as we love our Lord, that it doesn't happen by accident. And if we don't plan for it in a certain sense, it may never happen. And so we need to make it a point to love the Lord our God. This is an exhortation, actually, to obedience. Because Jesus He says, here's how you can love me. And he tells us in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says the same thing in John 14:21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. So loving God on his terms means being obedient to his word. That's our expression of love to him. He doesn't want a box of candy. He doesn't want a bouquet of flowers. He wants us simply to be obedient to him. In this chapter, they're exhorted to love the Lord. In the next chapter, again, they're going to be exhorted to serve the Lord. And it just kind of follows that when we love the Lord, we will serve him. We'll find a way to serve him. But in verses 12 and 13, it says, Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they unto you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. The bottom line is, if we're not going to cleave to God, then we are going to cleave to something. That's just kind of how it works. We're made to worship. We're wired that way. That's why when we're not worshiping God and we get to that point in life, we realize, man, there's something missing in us. (laughs) There's a hole that needs to be filled, and we'll try to fill it with everything else. And so if we don't cleave to God, we're going to cleave to something. And if we choose to cleave to the things of the world, then we shouldn't expect God's help. We shouldn't expect God to bless us in that. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No man can serve two masters. for Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve God and the things of this world. God is a jealous God. He wants our whole attention and will be miserable otherwise. Now, Joshua kind of illustrates something here. Over these last few verses, if you look back at uh, verse 7, we see, I don't know, a progression that takes place. In verse 7, the first thing is that you come not among these nations that remain among you. In other words, we're not to associate with them. And so there's that association in kind of a familiar way, getting too friendly with those that are worshiping these pagan gods. Then the second thing is make no mention of the name of their god. And what that means is discussing, in a sense, the religious practice. Hey, what's that little idol? What do you do? Tell me about your religion. And it's kind of opening a door, a spiritual door, that the enemy would take advantage of. And then also in verse 7, it says, swearing by or serving or worshiping their gods. Joshua is describing kind of a progression that takes place. Then we skip down to verse 12, and it says, And shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they unto you. Again, this progression that starts out with just being friendly with them, then just talking about their God, and pretty quick you're talking about their God, then you're swearing by their God. Now you're making marriages with them. And the bottom line is that the lines of separation between them and us becomes either blurred or non existent. And it's sad because we've seen the same thing in the church in general today. Oftentimes there's very little distinction between the church and the society at large. There's very little distinction between a believer and a non believer. Half the time, when people tell, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, you just kind of, really? <laughs> you know, It's like, you didn't act like it. There's no outward sign. And I'm not sure that we need to wear a sign on our forehead that says, I'm a Christian. Or if we did wear a sign on our forehead, I pray that we would act like Christians. But there is very little distinction between much of the church and the world today. But look as well at the penalties there in verse 13. It says, they will become snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land. And you know we know that the nation of Israel did eventually basically go whoring after other gods. They began to worship other gods. And all of us, in some way, shape, or form, have also done that at times, where we've given other things a higher priority in our lives than the true and the living God, where we have, in a sense, gotten into the same thing. And I think about that because we're all sinners. The Bible tells us that. And as I look at these uh, penalties, the one who took our punishment, what did he get? The one that took the punishment that we deserved, what did he get? Well, part of what he got was scourging. (laughs) Part of what he got was the crown of thorns that was on his brow in his eyes. Interesting to me how God's word is so literal. It always comes true. But then in verse 14, it says, And behold this day I am going the way of all the earth. For you know that in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing is failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing is failed thereof. You know, Josh was saying, you know, behold, I'm going the way of all the earth. It's a kind of an eloquent way of saying, I'm about to die. And you think about that. I'm going the way of all the earth. I can't help but think about the second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes from order to disorder. Everything goes from being in a, in a state of completeness or whatever and breaking down or falling apart. And that's the way of all the earth. Everything is getting older. Everything is eroding. Everything is falling apart. Even us. Most of us, at least I am. And that's the cycle of life. And so Joshua's basically saying, hey, I'm going the way of all the earth. It's all going to fall apart. But then his, I won't say his dying words, but some of his last words, he makes this declaration, this affirmation, that not one thing of all that God has said has failed to happen. I like that, that he affirms God's word. If you were to take his life experience and everything from being, remember now Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. He knew the hardship and the rigor and the hard times of being there, And then he saw all the things that God did to deliver them, and all the things that have happened since then. And you could boil his life statement down to one thing. God's word is true. And I think we can say the same thing as we look and reflect upon our lives. What part of God's word does not come true for us? Can anyone point out that God's word isn't true? And we can't do that. The prophet Isaiah affirms the same thing. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, Isaiah declares that the grass withers The flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Jesus affirms the same thing. He says, not one jot, not one tittle will fail to happen of what God has said, that God's word is true. That is something we can hang our hat on. Then in verse 15, it says, Therefore it shall come to pass, that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he has given unto you. Just as surely as the good things have happened because of obedience, you can say that just as surely the bad things will happen because of disobedience, that God will keep his word no matter how it swings, no matter how it cuts. God's past faithfulness, is an assurance of his future faithfulness. God has a track record. God has declared all these things that they would happen, that here's how it's going to be, and as you see all these things fulfilled, and the truth of it, and as you believe that in your heart, then you look forward to the things that God has said that are still to happen, the prophecies that are still going to happen, the second coming of Jesus. I mean, that's why we have a hope even to hang around this place is that we know that Jesus is going to come get us. And I believe that because of all the other things that have come true in God's word. The saddest word, though, in this chapter is in verse 16. The first word in that verse, the word when. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, not if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God. I don't like that. I remember when Moses was giving his final sermon, if you will, to the people, he said basically the same thing when you transgress. And it's like, oh, man. It's almost like a certainty that this is going to happen because whether God's given them specific revelation or just they see the writing on the wall, they can see what the people are doing, they can go, man, that's not going to turn out good. But it's the understanding that they're going to stumble. And as we get into the book of Judges, that's one of the hardest things to see is that they do great for a while, then they stumble. And then they repent, and then they do great for a while, and then they stumble. And the hardest part of that isn't just the drama of the situation, (laughs) the hard part is that I see my own life in front of me. That I stumble, the Lord takes care of me, I ask for forgiveness, he restores me. I get running again, then boom, back on my face. And it's the same thing that we're going to see in the nation of Israel. And it just gives you a greater and deeper appreciation for God's patience, for God's supernatural love for each one of us, because he doesn't get tired of picking us up. I'm glad for that. In this chapter, there's been three main exhortations or admonitions, if you will, and I want to just kind of point them out to you. In verse 6, Joshua says, keep God's word. And that's good counsel no matter how you look at it. Just keep God's word. Then the next thing is in verse 8, he says, cleave to the Lord. Stick with God. Abide in him, as Jesus would say. And then finally in verse 11, love the Lord. And as it's said in, in other places in Joshua and Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything that's in you. Be totally, wholly committed to Jesus.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to Pastor and Teacher Mike Scamblin of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, teaching the first of a three-part, in-depth study of the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapters 23 and 24. Romans 10:17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So make it a point to please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of Joshua and the entire Bible. In fact, why don't you take the time to read ahead? As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you were blessed, and we want to invite you to join us in person. Calvary Chapel meets at 450 Richmond Road, right across from the Railroad Depot and next to Mama's. On Sunday mornings, we meet at 8.30 and 10.30. Our Wednesday evening service is at 7 p.m., and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m., If you can't make it in person, all services are streamed live on the web at www.ccsusanville.com. To get the entire study on CD, please call the church office at 530-257-4833. If you've made a profession of faith and would like more information on what it is to grow in your faith, we'd love to hear from you. Won't you take a few minutes to write to us? You can mail your cards and letters to P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. Until next time, may God richly bless you.